0: is a Tashi Station podcast about video games and science fiction, hosted by myself and my buddy Saf. Um, today we have a grab bag of topics, including our main topic, which is Star Wars Rebels. Um, so, Saf, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good.
0: Good. We are recording on sort of an unusual day today. We're actually recording on a weekend, so that uh, that should be a which uh, should be a pretty, pretty chill podcast. As I trip over my words. <laughs> <laughs> So, what are you reading these days?
1: Um, so I just finished the fifth season, which I think you talked about on here before, and I got really excited about it.
0: It's so amazing. It's I so good. Am so in love with that series. So tell me everything. So,
1: okay, so when I started it, it was so like, okay, this is an interesting style, but I'm into it because it was like, it has a really, it's kind of second in person, and it's. First person, sometimes I think, yeah, and then it's like third person as well. And it was weird, but I got into it like straight away, and I kind of just went through it in like a day or something, um, kind of like ancillary mercy. I just got sucked in to the world building, um, and everything else. And then I just got really into the story, which is really good. And I love how the world building, like the magic, is um. Like science-based and it's really cool like it's got like seriously like ge- geometry is that the right one
0: uh geology geology yeah it's got serious like serious geology, geology stuff yep
1: yeah and I love that so much and I love the characters they're all really interesting and uh, yeah
0: yeah it's so good and that part of what I like about it so much was that um writing style where it's um sort of from three different perspectives. you got like an omniscient second person and then different characters have either first or third and depending on what time period they're in as well. And uh, I, I love it so much and I think she's got such a unique style. I, I um, went to a reading with her once and actually asked her whether she had any particular inspiration or um, goals using the second person and she basically said... She didn't. She was just like, no. I kind of felt that it would be appropriate, but it, it wasn't working with any particular strategy. I just felt that it it worked for this this world, and I'm sure there was, you know, there's a strategy going on sort of behind the scenes when you when you write these things and how you make a mental map of it. But like, it was it was surprising to me to hear that she didn't really have an immediate source or wasn't um like had mostly just drawn from her own story yeah
1: I really love it when um well I haven't really seen it before but like I loved seeing the second person in it because it's not something that's used much and I remember when I was like in high school or something and I was doing a creative writing assignment and I was like can I do this in second person and my teacher was like I mean you can but you'll probably fail um just because she had no faith in second person all my ability um and I did it and I got like the highest mark for it anyways because yes. I was determined to do it well um but like seeing it in an actual novel and seeing it done in an interesting way that didn't like feel <laughs> weird or repetitive or anything because like it's not overly obvious it's second person but it's still there um yeah her style is just really interesting and it's different and I like that
0: Hmm. And I think part of what's so good about it is that it is the second person very much establishes a narrator and a character. So sometimes I think second person can sound sort of baseless, like the author is kind of doing it for the heck of it or to make you really get inside the head of a character. But in this case, it is one person talking about another and addressing them as you. And that gave this like creepy authoritative feeling to it that I thought worked really well
1: yeah I remember um it probably took me longer than it should have but when I finally figured out who like the older lady was mm-hmm. um and I was like oh god
0: <laughs> yeah it this this book does so much with um with perspective and with character and so I mean we have talked about it a little bit before if you don't if you're not familiar with the book I guess the short version is that it's about geomancers people that can control rock in a society that does not like them at all but needs them to survive because it's an extremely geologically unstable world um yeah so there's a lot about like abusive power and it's a it's largely about race relations and um did you in particular have any thoughts about like the diversity in the book
1: I thought it was really cool because um, it's kind of established pretty early on that like brown or black skin is the default, and from then on it's just like it's just that's just the thing, and I like that, and it like it makes a big deal about when like a white person is there because they're like weird and they they look strange and like that kind of stuff, and I, I like it's such it's so different from everything else that it's really refreshing to read. Like even though I'm super white, it's really refreshing to read that.
0: Yeah, and like I mean, as a white person, it took. I had to learn on a very academic level that like when a character notices that someone else is white and that's unusual, that can do a lot for, for world building or for perspective. And um that was that was really good, I thought.
1: Yeah. The entire world is just so amazing. And the characters are really good too, but it's just it is definitely the world and the geo 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 geomancy that is that it?
0: <laughs> yeah I get I guess that would be the term for that <laughs> yeah the entire
1: the entire thing there was really well done and it feels so real like because it's like fantasy right but it's got science fiction like undertones because of all the science in it um and I really dig that and I also like because the world yeah is very volatile. Um, and so it's just, like, normal to have, like, world-ending volcano disasters and stuff like that, and I thought that was really cool as well, because it's kind of like, um, apocalypse, like, post-apocalyptic, but it's not, because they basically just deal with that.
0: Yeah, it's a different kind of post-apocalyptic, sort of, because the characters, you almost forget that they are so used to living in a world that changes on its seismic level so often. Every once in a while, they'll notice something that reminds you of that.
1: Yeah, and it's also got, um, like, because there's the obelisks that, like, float around, and there's, like, giant crystals, basically, and that kind of has that cool, like, surreal kind of idea, like, there's that, oh, there's, like, this science fiction art that I really like. There's basically, like, landscapes with, like, geometric stuff just, like, in it that just makes no sense at all, but it's just there anyways, and it still looks cool, Um, and the idea of the obelisks kind of reminded me of that, and I love that, I, that aesthetic somewhat.
0: Yeah, it I I think this does what a lot of my favorite books do, which is that it takes these sort of science fiction ideas that could be very pulpy but makes them really really serious and really um really uh puts characters in them that you identify with so you sort of feel like you're inside that weird science fiction painting or something.
1: Yeah definitely i think i'm the same as well because ancillary justice did that really well as well yeah yeah uh, i really and... want to read the next book um the obelisk gate but it's on hold at the library for like it's got oh, like no. 10 or so people on hold and i'm just like going crazy because any other book i read now i pick it up and i was like this isn't this isn't the Ob- obelisk gate this isn't good i don't want this and so it's ruining my reading yeah
0: <laughs> This book, this will absolutely ruin your reading because you're just like, no, it's not N.K. Jemisin's style. Like, why am I even here? You know,
1: I'm so mad. (laughs) This is exactly like this is exactly like when I read Ancillary Justice in those books, because I could not read anything else in between. (laughs) I just had to read the next book. And because this this trilogy isn't finished, right? The third book's not out, which means I'm going to go crazy until that book is out.
0: I'm so glad that we have such similar taste in book, staff but I also feel like we need to disagree on something one of these days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we definitely do. I'm sure it'll happen one day.
0: Yes. Um, the ending of fifth season just, like, floored me, because, I, because spoilers, but I'm... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just
1: love how much, like, it'll do things at the start of the book, and you're like, I don't think this is that important, or like it'll be important later on. You just kind of don't think about it from then on. It gets near the end, and you start understanding why that happened and like the repercussions and what led up to that thing. Because it's got like three different time periods that it kind of swaps between. And you start understanding how everything works together towards the ending, and it works so well to just build up this great finale for the book that just makes you want to read the next book so much.
0: It's amazingly structured. Yeah. So, we could probably talk forever about how great it is. Was there anything you didn't like about it? Um, ooh.
1: I'm not sure. There probably was, but I can't think of it. I think sometimes it would have things... I think it was similar to Ancillary Justice again. Um, I'm probably just stupid, but sometimes it would have characters talking and they would understand something that's, like, unspoken, and the book would make it really obvious that they understood it, but it wouldn't entirely tell you what it is. So sometimes two characters would be talking, and they'd be saying something, but they'd be saying something different, and, they, and then like the main character would be like, oh yes, I understand this. And I'd be like, I don't understand what just happened. Um, but usually that would get cleared up at some point, and it would make sense later for me. But I think sometimes it just felt, for me, a little bit much like the author knew what she was saying, but I didn't.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, I can, I definitely get like that sometimes too, especially with these really unique worlds where you have to wait a little while to figure out what's normal. And so what the characters think is normal isn't necessarily a useful reference to you.
1: Yeah, and that can work really well. And I think, like, it's not a huge criticism of this book, because it was partly, I think, just me not being good at reading between the lines of dialogue, and also the book wanting to lead you on to things that will explain in the future.
0: mm. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think we've <laughs> my entire life is me recommending the fifth season to people now, so I think <laughs> everyone knows now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can definitely second that. Now, everyone should definitely read this book.
0: Yes. So, what uh, what else have you been reading, and have you been disappointed that it was not NK Jempson?
1: Yeah, I have been. Um, I tried picking up Mendocino Fire again because I stopped reading that to read the fifth season um and I was like this is just too literary fiction now I can't deal with this and so I put that down I started reading station 11 which I only got like a chapter or two into because um, it I ordered a book at the library a while back that was like um it was like a girl or something at an arctic camp And a guy on a space station, like, communicating with each other or
0: something? I have that one right next to me right now. It's called... What's it called? Oh, man, I would have to move and make so much noise. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to knock, like, 16 books over. It's called Good Morning Midnight.
1: That's it. Yeah, I ordered that at the library a while back. And then I picked up a bunch of books recently. And Station Eleven was one of the books I just put on hold and picked up. And I thought that that was that book because I didn't look at the... Like, I didn't read the insight or anything. I was like, I picked up, I was like, okay, it's probably that book. And I started reading it, and it was not that book. They um, do it's have like,
0: really similar covers, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's what kind of threw me off as well. And the name, like, Station 11 kind of sounds like it could be that book with the name. Um, and it's basically, like, the first chapter is about, like, the start of a flu epidemic that, like, kills people real fast. And so, it, and I was like, that's cool. I like this. Um, I like... Like, apocalypse scenarios. I like reading about them. And then the second chapter, like, just goes 30 years into the future. And it's about, like, um, a traveling Shakespeare troupe in the post apocalyptic or something. And I was, like, straight away, like, this is not my thing. And because I really wanted to read more fifth season, it just didn't work for me. So I put it down. And I'll probably pick it up again um, at some point because I'm sure I'll like it. But at that point, I was just like, no. I
0: actually really liked fifth season. Or, excuse me, I really liked, um, uh, and now I'm getting the names of my books modeled too. Station Eleven, all these things—two-word names with numbers in them. Yeah. Um, I liked Station Eleven a lot, but it felt to me almost like a a book that the editor had been saying add more literary fiction to. Like there was almost uh, a tension between the post-apocalyptic aspect and the literary aspect.
1: Yeah, I I think I've read something kind of in a similar thing, like post-apocalyptic theater thing, um, and. I didn't like that much, which may be colouring my view of this. Like I think I will like it once I actually pick it up and get into it, but I'm not gonna be able to do that until I read Obeliskate. Um so I tried reading that and I put it down. And then I got given a copy of Elamino P P um to oh, read because it's I somebody it. I know is like favorite book. And that is a really cool book. I, I went through it on like a night because it's super short, but it's basically like a bunch of people living on an island that broke off from the States ages ago. Um, and they're obsessed with the guy who invented the um, the sentence, like the cook brown fox jumped over the lazy dog because it is an amazing sentence. And so they're obsessed with language and like, they're obsessed with that sentence to like an almost cult like level. And so the letters start falling off of this plaque that they have that's under a statue of the guy. And as each letter falls off, the council decrees that they can no longer use that letter So it's basically like this book of, it's written in letters. So it's people talking to each other via letters. And it's this book of watching this culture to slowly disintegrate because their language is being taken away. And you have to watch, it's really interesting because like there's creative writing because they have to change how they write to make sure that they don't use the illegal um, letters. So the letters that they're writing get more and more weird because they've got to avoid them um and it's really cool i love it because the chapters or not chapters but like when each letter falls off and it gets taken out it has like a page where it just shows you the alphabet with stars um where the letter should be Mm -hmm. and then it shows you the quick brown fox with lazy dog with like an asterisk where the letter should be and it's like watching the world fall apart kind of but in
0: letters Wow! yeah
1: yeah and the final one that does it like looks it's just really ominous and i love it because it's just such a stupid idea but it feels, <laughs> it works really well because the language is so, it's so, it's quite literary, but it's literary in a really creative way. And one of the comments on the book, like the critics or whatever, um, says it has the feel of a classic. And I definitely agree with that. It does feel like, like a classic literature kind of book, but it's really good.
0: That sounds fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting exploration of language and also a free speech.
0: Yeah, definitely that free speech sort of metaphor there. You're literally being taken away the ability to speak.
1: Yeah, and it kind of turns into like a dictatorship kind of thing. Like, it sounds really dumb, but it works well.
0: No, that sounds interesting. I've also been mostly reading literary fiction in the last couple weeks, which is strange, and I definitely felt the need to get back to sci-fi, but I read a couple um, sort of, I guess I would call them, genre adjacent books um recently that I really liked um Hagseed by Margaret Atwood which came to my attention because an article which uh I don't remember who published it um but I'm sure you can google it because what they did was they referred to it in the title as Shakespeare fan fiction and didn't like denigrate that at all they they weren't doing that to say oh it's silly they were just saying like yes like objectively this is shakespeare fan fiction and also it's really good literary fiction and i thought that was kind of cool because that doesn't happen very often so that um got my attention and it is an adaptation of the tempest with um sort of a meta adaptation i guess because the main character is a a director theater director called felix who's putting on a play of The Tempest in a jail, and at the same time, he's trying to get revenge on his old, like, theater rival, so he is, his story is, um, paralleling Prospero's story in The Tempest, and, um, it was really good, it had some beautiful writing, it was a little eerie, because he's an incredibly unreliable narrator, like, He's having sort of hearing voices and thinks that his dead daughter is talking to him. But at the same time, he's like sensible enough to understand or, I guess, self-aware enough to understand that he's making it up. So every once in a while, he thinks thoughts like, oh, is she going to be okay in the cold? Of course she is because she doesn't really exist, but I'll put out a blanket for her. Um, this is a really interesting narrator. Um, I, I definitely like that a lot.
1: That sounds really cool. I haven't read anything from Margaret Atwood before, but um, I always like Shakespeare, so I might actually check that out.
0: I So I read Handmaid's Tale in school and I really liked it. Um, every once in a while I think about picking up one of her like environmental sci-fi books and I always, I'm always just, I read the blurbs and I go, oh, this doesn't really sound interesting. And it probably would be interesting if I actually got into it, but I keep turning away from them but uh, I would definitely recommend this one the the kind of odd thing about it was that it didn't you didn't really get to know the prisoners as well as you got to know Felix they they only were named in like the after the first quarter of the book was done or so and I don't think they were characterized badly but it wasn't like an in-depth exploration of prison psychology it, it was a retelling of a, another story and i thought that the prisoners didn't like you didn't always know what they were in for or what they thought about their situation as much as you knew about what felix was thinking so that's the only like thing i would have maybe wanted changed but that would change so much in the book that i can't even i can't even hardly say that i think it should be changed
1: <laughs> yeah i understand that
0: um Um, so i find it oh sorry i find it
1: interesting um like with the the fan fiction thing because like a lot of shakespeare's work is just fan fiction of um stories that were around at that time Mm -hmm. um and so it's kind of cool to have like a literary fiction thing that's just basically the same thing but not in a play i guess
0: yeah and atwood herself didn't have many she didn't have much to say about fan fiction in the article but she basically acknowledged that same thing in the book as well that a lot of shakespeare's plays were based on previous work and that this is you know it's it's it takes its own specific set of skills and i've seen um i've been to two literary festivals this week and both or this week this year within the past couple months (laughs) and um both both of them had panels that were about writing in writing adaptations so writing like literary versions of fairy tales or something and i it's kind of cool for me as someone that that like is aware of that fan fiction community um to see that in literary fiction circles being named more often
1: yeah i've actually been seeing a bit of that in um in game stuff kind of um at nzgdc there was a panel about adapting um like sacred stories which is like with qu- air quotes um into games so like blade runner which i think i mentioned previously or like the bible and stuff like that um and then also <laughs> in a group i'm part of for like women in games um somebody brought up like fan fiction and asked people like what their proudest fan fiction was and like how has that influenced um their game writing as well and like how's it given them skills for that so it's interesting seeing how fan fiction is such like a it's the thing that's degraded in a lot of places can actually be good for literary fiction, for game writing, for all sorts of kind of writing.
0: Yeah. And I think in a lot of cases, it just comes down to the language that people are using. Like um, writers have been inspired by other writers forever. It's only when you try to call it fan fiction that it gets the side eye. And it's, it's kind of cool that I think more people are talking about that because some fan fiction is really awesome and some fan fiction is published as literary fiction. Although, and you know, there are definitely, you can get into (laughs) definition splicing about how fan fiction is a very like sort of, um, it's made without resources. It's made without money. Basically. Um, you can split hairs on that, but I think that in this case, it is a good thing to sort of open up that conversation. Yeah, I agree. So, the second one that I read this week was 100,000 Worlds by Bob Prohl, which actually, now we're really getting into like this theme is circling around itself now because this was recommended on a podcast called Fansplaining, which is about <laughs> fandom. And um, they interviewed this author. And I hadn't, so this book is about an actress. Going to comic cons. She's uh, basically based on Gillian Anderson from The X Files. So she used to be an actress in like a long-running cult sci-fi show, but now she hasn't really been doing any major acting. And she is going across the country and to sign and to do appearances at comic cons, along with her like nine-year-old son, to go meet her former husband, who they haven't seen in like six years and had a falling out with. So. I at first I was like well I'm not really interested in a literary book that's written about comic cons from the outside um I don't I I've been burned before like (laughs) I've I've read books before that kind of purported to to express the experience of being a fan and none of them have felt like what the experience of being a fan is like to me so I I was sort of turned off by that but I heard this interview by him and he talked about how he um based this character on Jillian Anderson he based another character on Gail Simone how he was Ooh. um he wrote about the sort of difficulties that women face in the comics industry and I'm definitely initially skeptical about like well here's this guy writing about the experience of women I don't know how how well that can go but I do think he did it well there were some sort of blatant like characters acting as mouthpieces for feminist conversations but at the same time they were conversations that I've had in real life like I would start to think this is two these characters aren't speaking realistically and then go actually they are like they're just using the same talking points that I use with my friends and um I thought that was that was really good yeah so I I really enjoyed that book I thought it did interesting things about with the sort of the conversation about um, the current comic con scene, and it was very modern. It it might you know feel dated eventually, but it felt very modern.
1: I'm glad to hear that. Um, it was it it did good conversations instead of yeah. I've been burned before, so hearing that blurb about it, I was like, oh god.
0: There was a part where a bunch of um, so a, a group of women are traveling with this this con to basically be booth babes and like there are plenty of female characters in this book they're not all part of this group but this group is where you get a lot of the sort of bouncing back and forth conversation because some of them are really into the comic scene some of them aren't at all some of them have you know, second wave feminism opinions, third wave opinions, like, they all sort of bounce off each other, and um there's a conversation where, I think it was the Gail Simone character tells one of them that the character that she's dressed as is going to be killed off in a future comic, and she says that they want to give him motivation to make him more driven, and the, the cosplayer says, but what does that have to do with me? And that was such a, like, gut punch to me, of like, it, it just shows so much what the problem is with that idea of female characters dying just so that a male character can have some sort of emotional event happen to them.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. This book actually, mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like it did good things.
0: Yeah, and it was very literary. Just some of the wording was amazing. It was interspersed with um, sort of interludes I guess about the superheroes in this universe everything was blatantly uh, based on real real world comics so there were the two major comic companies and then there would be (laughs) these blurbs about characters that like you knew like this one's Superman this one's Fantastic Four whatever but they just used different words for them and those were like nice little snippets of of really good solid like sci-fi writing too so I, I really liked it I
1: have so much trouble, like, in my head reconciling literary fiction with that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I definitely struggle with thinking about, like, how would I do that as a writer? And whenever I sort of think about it, it always comes out seeming thin to me. And this one is a really good example of how to do it, I think.
1: I think I might check that out. I'm really curious how that reads.
0: And partially, the thing is that partially why it works, I think, and I kind of hate saying this because it seems so counterintuitive, but part of why it works is because it's not really about Comic-Con culture. It's a story about a family that happens to be really involved with Comic-Con culture.
1: That makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, when it's stuff like that, having like a personal focus on it does help.
0: Yeah, I think so. And it keeps it from being too uh, myopic or too didactic, maybe. Yeah. Yep. So, I that's all I have for books. Do you want to add anything else? No,
1: I'm basically not going to be reading anything until I can get Obelisk Gate. Actually, no, I did get Tarkin and also Twilight Company for my Kindle, so I'll probably be reading those while I'm in Australia. I want to make it like a tradition to read Twilight Company when I'm traveling to Australia now, because I did that last year. Um, and I'm excited to read it again.
0: We're going to mention Twilight Company once per episode. Yep. I wonder what our ratio actually is. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's good. You're going away for a while, right? Yeah,
1: I'm going to um, Melbourne International Games Week, so I'll come back with heaps of game stuff.
0: Excellent. So... That moves us right into game stuff. I played two very different games in the last Fortnite. I played Virginia, which is a um, narrative. They 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 call it a feature, actually. In the like the description, it's a, a narrative game. So you you are an FBI agent, and you have to investigate a fellow agent who is under suspicion for something. And like as a player, all you ever do is press one interact button. There's like one or two things to do in each section and then it the story just goes on. Um so I really liked it. It was very different from what I've ever played before. Um you've played this, right?
1: Yeah, I played it. Um it's real pretty.
0: It it is very pretty. Um so I wanted to have the discussion about this about the format because It was inspired very much by television, like the X-Files and Twin Peaks. And it also sort of plays out like television where there are time skips and you never really know when a scene is going to change. So you can be walking down a corridor and then the scene will change and it will be completely different. And that almost felt like a constraint of the medium rather than a choice to me, like It's not that they went, oh, we want to make a game, so we're going to make a game with all these odd cuts. It was more like we want it to feel like TV or we want it to feel like a dream sequence, so we put in all these odd cuts. Did it? And I don't want to ask the question of is this game because I think that's a very loaded question. (laughs) And, like, of course it's a game. It's for the Xbox, you know. Um, But I do want to ask the question of, like, What experience did I gain from controlling it with an Xbox controller that I might not have gotten if it was a TV show? And I've been trying to think about that, and my only thought is that it actually contributes to the confusion and the disorientation, which I think is part of what this was supposed to convey. The the writers said that they hope it is a strange and confounding game, and it was definitely confounding, partially because of that, because of its very gameness. Yeah,
1: that's a really good point. Um, I've kind of been asking the same question too, but not like consciously, really. I think it's just been kind of underlying, like when I played it. Um, because I have game ideas that are quite based off of like theat theater theater. That's not the right thing. Cinematic stuff. Um, and so seeing a game actually do that was really interesting, and seeing how they use different like cinematography kind of more cinematography things than um game things i've gotten the word i want um oh what's the word conventions um and i liked that it was kind of it was non-linear but it was a linear game but it was kind of non-linear as well and at first those like skips are really interesting because they kind of like catch you by surprise and um it does kind of jolt you it kind of makes you, it kind of draws you out of the world a little bit, though. Like, the the constant skips and, like, the lack of control kind of does pull yeah. you out of what's happening. You can get really into what's happening and it'll be like, nope, different scene. You'll be like, oh, right, it's a game. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's partly what they wanted. It's an interesting style. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if I liked it. Like, it was really pretty and it was fun to play, or well, fun to a point, like, I just got really confused at the end. It built up to, like, confusion, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. I liked the three-quarter mark a lot. Um, I thought that they did really interesting things with player choice, or lack thereof, because basically it, it sort of shows you two different possible branching futures, and you play both of them. Um I thought that was really interesting, but then you write, at the end, I was just left kind of confused, and not in a, like, oh, I want to go back and pick up all the clues way, just in a, I like this atmosphere, but I'm confused kind of way.
1: I didn't really want to, um, yeah, I figure, like, going back and playing again would probably give me more, like, context on what's happening, but also I just don't really want to, because it's confusing, and there's not much you can do differently so I'll just be playing the same experience again and it's kind of different to watching a movie again because it's um interactive and so it's kind of it feels a bit more like a grind to do that again I think not that I have but that kind of that's kind of how it feels the idea going back to it um I really like because from the start there's like this kind of thing of like a door with really bright red light shining out of it oh I just dropped bb8 sorry um oh no (laughs) yeah there's this bright red door and i love that because it looks so ominous and every time i saw it i was like oh my god but at the end it doesn't really get a clear like reason for that door being there like it kind of hints at why that door is there but it doesn't look the same at the end when it could still be that really bright red and i'm kind of mad about that
0: yeah it lost its consistency a bit toward the end
1: yeah i think the final chapter or whatever kind of didn't It didn't have that same strength that the rest of it had, which I think is kind of my main issue with it, is that it had this really strong idea, and then at the end, it kind of fell flat.
0: Hmm. But it it was a game with two female protagonists who never spoke. So, like, I got attached to the characters, but it's also, it's odd for me to say that because there's no voice acting in this game, so. I got so attached. You sort of get attached.
1: I got so attached to the other agent. I loved her so much.
0: I yeah I really did too and like their their story was was really good it was it was intense
1: yeah it was kind of amazing how intense it got the relationship without any words
0: yes I agree and I'm sure they I think a lot that was done in this game you hardly even notice like the use of the lighting or the use of certain moments where um the The woman puts on the wedding ring it was like such an intense moment. Oh yeah. Um, and I think they did a lot of really good good work for, but I I still feel like this game was constrained rather than supported by its own media. I also think because
1: I think a lot of it might have been the people making it were probably I don't actually know much about the team, but it seemed like it was people who knew a lot about cinematography, but maybe not so much about game design or narrative design in the game. Um, and one thing I did pick up on that they could have changed to make it a bit better is that interactive objects, you can't tell what they're going to be until you like walk up to it it's interactive. And because they use so mm. much lighting to great effect in that, I feel like they could have used lighting to highlight objects that would have been interactive, but not make it super obvious like in a subtle way. Because some games do that really well, and I feel like that would have been a really big bonus to this game, is to kind of have those hints through lighting, um, which... Like in in movies and stuff and TV shows, like you can use lighting to highlight certain things because um, it draws the eye. And games work similarly. If you use lighting properly in a game to highlight which direction someone should go or to show a certain object, that can work to like subtly hint at certain things. Like it's a big thing in Halo. Um, Halo 4 had huge issues with lighting to direct the player in the right direction. Um, And you can kind of tell in the final game that they <laughs> worked really hard to make that a thing that worked right and so i think that's my main thing that i'm like they could do this better is to have done use lighting for the game aspect rather than just the cinematography
0: Mm. and the one thing where i think they did really have sort of the um they splurged on was the music it was amazing soundtrack and it was recorded by a symphony and i was like this all their all their budget went to the music yeah (laughs) but because of that it was a really incredible soundtrack
1: yeah it's a really interesting game and even though I'm not like super fond of it I love what it experiments with so much
0: yeah and it's uh it's three hours so like if you're like me and don't usually play this more narrative type of thing it's a good one to to start with I think because it's short so if you don't like it you know you can Yeah. Be done with it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the other thing that I played this week that was completely different was Dishonored, which I'd been wanting to get into for a while. And it's a stealth action game set in like a sort of alternate version of London. And I almost felt like I was living in a China Mayville world. When playing this game, it's... Because it's a a whaling town. So there's all this talk (laughs) about whale oil and whale bone. And it's incredibly atmospheric. Um, And so... It's fun. The stealth is a lot of fun. I feel very accomplished when I manage to get through a level without killing anyone. (laughs) Um, And then if you want to, you can just murder everything if you want to play it that way. But I'm trying not to. Um, However... I'm very hesitant to say that I like it because the story is unrelentingly grim and I'm having trouble identifying with the main character or with understanding whether the main character is even supposed to be portrayed as doing the right thing. And I'm I'm really, I'm almost done. I'm at the last uh, main mission right now, the the undercover party, which is wonderful. (laughs) But uh, I'm really curious about how it ends and whether there's going to be any sort of moral resolution other than you can choose to kill or not to kill and it's still a grimdark world either way yeah
1: i haven't played dishonored myself but i have a bunch of friends that love it a lot um but i i have no clue how it ends at all i like (laughs) the idea of games that give you that choice not to kill anyone but i'm i'm interested whether or not it actually like means anything in the end
0: To and this this game is super charismatic like I wouldn't really always say the characters are deep but they're charismatic the world is beautiful the lighting is beautiful um however the choice system is a little muddled I think because usually well always you get the option to do a a lethal or a non-lethal uh end of mission. I was going to say assassination, but non-lethal assassination (laughs) is kind of an oxymoron. Um, So I try to go the non-lethal route because then you get the the good ending quote. But a lot of times the non-lethal route is actually like crueler than the lethal route. Like either you'll kill a guy quickly or you'll subject them to basically torture and they live, but they've been mutilated. Mm. And so I'm very, I'm I'm sort of uncomfortable with that. And that's part of why, like, I want someone to acknowledge that within the game. And I don't know if it's going to do that.
1: Yeah, that makes me kind of uncomfortable, too. Like, just hearing that, I was like, oh, god, don't punish the players for make, trying to be good.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's not an easy game emotionally at all. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It'll
1: be interesting to hear whether or not the ending, like, kind of ties in with that. Or, like, the at the end it ties in with that in some way.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll see and I I hope it does because otherwise it's sort of just like we're going to be edgy and I I'm not really about that. So but that said, like I I have friends who are into it too like the characters are um I wouldn't say they're archetypes, but they're like a good basis to build something off of so I can see why like fans will portray characters as more elegant or more refined or more kind than they are in the game because that's what fans do but they're also very consistent characters so it's a good way uh it's a good fandom game i think but at the same time i'm like man everybody who had to play this had to stomach some of this stuff that i'm sort of like yikes
1: i did not realize it was so grim (laughs) i thought it was like quite oh not not a light game but kind of like I don't know. It was like a fun game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you would think so. From I'm like, there's beautiful, the art is beautiful, but it's it's pretty dark. Interesting.
1: I It's so on I'm, my list to play one day when I have a console.
0: <laughs> I'm uh, hoping to finish it soon because the whole reason I'm playing it now is because the second one's coming out soon. So I wanted to catch up to the second one. Uh, yeah,
1: and the second one has a lady playable character, which is basically all I know about the game because yes. it's all anyone tells me about it. It does
0: look like I've been thinking a little bit about gender stuff in Dishonored, but I think I'll we'll leave that until the next episode when I've finished it, That's because fair. I'm not I'm not quite done writing my thesis yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fair.
0: <laughs> um. So, yeah, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, I've been playing more of um The Last of Us on Grounded Mode, and it's still really hard because um, I'm playing it with someone else and we play it like. When someone dies, we swap the controller, and we've been on this one level, which is in the high school, like, and it's just take like we spent I think two hours on it, or maybe just an hour. It just felt like two hours. Still not through it, um, and it's literally gotten to the point like it's really fun and it's really intense to play it like this, and it's gone to the point where I get so familiar with the level and I know how the zombies move and how the other characters move and everything exactly to a point that I can like tell you if you walk two steps that way, that zombie's gonna come over to you. Um like it is to a ridiculous level that I know the details of this game. Yep. Um which is really <laughs> cool. Because I yeah, kind of
0: it's kind of a cool feeling. Yeah. Like
1: I've never well, I have had that feeling with some games like Kingdom Hearts. I played that so much I got that feeling with that. But I haven't really had it with something like this before and it's really cool because I feel really knowledgeable and it makes me feel really skilled too because when I actually get through the level, I'm like, yeah, I'm so good at this because um, the first time <laughs> – because we play played it twice now. And the first time I played it um, with my pal, I kept dying. Like I would get – when we played a level that was like hard, I would get the most – I'd get almost to the end and I'd die and then my friend would get the controller and they'd see what I did and they'd do that and then they'd get to the end and they'd keep playing – and then they get to the next thing mm. and they'd die and I'd take it and I'd get most of the way through and then I'd die. And then they'd get through the level and they keep playing. And so I barely got to actually play last time. This time uh. I solved everything and got through myself. So I was playing most of the time and I felt really happy about that because I was like, yes, I've been redeemed. I'm good at this game. Um, yes. But yeah, it's really fun and it's really hard and I really want to get past this high school level because it's driving me crazy. Um, but yeah, if... I seriously recommend Grounded to anybody that has appears for and has played The Last of Us before and likes it because it adds so much more to it.
0: So remind me what is what's the difference between Grounded and like what is that? I just I'm just not familiar. So it's
1: like it you've been pe- yeah blah, blah. You've played The Last of Us,
0: right? I haven't. Oh, no. okay.
1: So there's a mode in the Last of Us which is like listen mode where you can um basically use like echolocation like that's not actually what you're doing but the game lets you kind of like hear where different characters are so if you're in a dark place or if you're um hidden behind a wall you can turn that on and see where the enemies are around you grounded mode takes that away from you so you don't have that at all you don't have an oh, HUD no. so okay. you can't see a hud um so you can't see like bullets or anything you don't know how much ammo you have um or any of that kind of stuff oh, you can't gosh. see okay. anything um you kind of have to like count your shots and yeah um items and survival gear you can like it doesn't appear anywhere near as often as it should or it would in other game levels difficulty modes um enemy damage is three times more and i think there's a couple other things as well but yeah it's basically like Yikes. taking away everything that makes the game like easy but it also takes away everything that makes the game feel like a game so like whenever mm-hmm. i get into a point where i'm like i could really use listen mode right now and then i'm like, but. This makes it feel way more engaging because I can't and I have to actually act like I'm in the game because I have to like go around corners and stuff and figure things out and it's really fun and it's really hard but it's really fun.
0: Cool. And Yeah, I can see why you'd get such a sense of accomplishment out of that. That's impressive. Yeah,
1: it's going to feel so good when we finish that game. Nice. Um, yeah, and then I also, same pal, got a vibe. And so we played around with that a bit, and that was really fun. Um, just like some of the free games on Steam, like the Steam Lab, which is just a bunch of like short little mini-games you can play um, in VR, like the Vive is the VR thing, for people who don't know. Um, and so there's the Lab, which is free, and there's Destinations, which is like another free thing. And in Destinations, they recently put up the Firewatch Tower from Firewatch, and so you can like wander around that, and that was really cool. That's cool. Yeah, I got super excited about that. I got like, I had like sit down for a minute. I was just like, oh my god, I'm inside the tower. But I was also too short to like look on the map table.
0: Oh, huh? That's weird. I would think that they would scale it like. They can't huh. really
1: like if you're short and something's made for like higher, you can't see over it unless you're like on a box yeah. or something.
0: But huh? Wow, that's really really different yeah, okay it's
1: weird like i forget these things would happen because it's just it's just how it is because it's kind of like it's built <laughs> in a real plane like it's not actually real but like it kind of is and so wherever you are in it it's still like the same kind of same as real life sort of so like if you sit yeah. down you're sitting down in the world and like everything's way high oh my god and there was like another thing i think it was in destinations as well which is just like the solar system. And you can just like pick up planets and throw them around and it's so much fun. I think I spent like half an hour just like building like snowmen with the planets and like walking into the sun and like throwing (laughs) stuff around because it's just so cool. It sounds so stupid, but it's so much fun. Just like, I mean, half the fun of VR is just to throw things and getting to like pick up planets (laughs) and throw them is just super fun as well.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I've never really, I've never properly played VR. I've done demos of like marketing things but I've never really been able to interact with it. So I would love to be able to throw planets at one point. Yeah,
1: I think that one's super fun. And there's also um in the lab there's like an archery mini game which is really fun as well. It's also really funny watching people play it because it looks so stupid, like flailing their arms around, but it's also yeah, it's really fun because you get to like shoot little dudes with your arrows because they're trying to get into your castle and I think that's possibly the most engaging one I've played so far. Partly because you don't walk around in it. You just stand there shooting things. And so you get really into that. And you feel really professional when you hit things. Because you're like, yeah, I'm good at archery. And I like that. My The problem was that the lab, when it was in a loading screen, the loading screen lagged like crazy. And so if you like looked around, it would make you just motion sick instantly. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. I've never gotten motion sick to play VR before, probably because I've only played like 15-minute demos previously, but I played quite a lot that day, and the rest of the day I was just like, oh my god, I regret everything, because I was just so woozy. So yeah, if you ever do play VR, take good breaks. That's my, my advice. Yeah.
0: Cool, and I'll be interested to hear what other games your friend might get revive or what else you might try out. Yeah, I'm going
1: to be playing a bunch of VR games um, when I go to PAX like that's my main thing whenever I get an email about a game and I'm like is it VR and if it is I'm like straight up like I'm booking in a a thing to play this because I'm really excited about VR it's a dumb thing to be excited about because I'm pretty sure it's not actually going to have a huge impact on games it'll be largely other things like business things or whatever like they're the people really interested and I think in the long run it's going to be too unwieldy and too like expensive for gamers to make it a regular thing but it's just so exciting playing everything now
0: mm. well it's uh that's kind of I've been thinking about that recently too like what is the threshold at which i an average gamer who doesn't tend to be an early adopter would get vr and it it comes down to money and its capability and I think right now it's definitely in the beginning stage and it's been in the beginning stage before. So we'll see what really takes off with it.
1: Yeah, a lot of the things at the moment are like tech demos, basically, because it's still really early and nobody's really made like a full game because it's still, nobody really knows everything about it. And there's no like VR experts, really, because everyone's still learning. Um, and I think given a couple years, we're going to be seeing more proper things. And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much it actually takes off as a gaming thing because it is expensive and you do need a strong computer for it and i don't know because i think it's at least it's got more of a trajectory than it has the previous times because we've got better technology now and things actually look good to a point in it and i think it's sticking around at least this time but i don't know how quickly it's going to become something people can afford
0: we're seeing a lot of companies put feelers out, like Lucasfilm does the, the ILM X lab. They have their VR experience for Google cardboard. So it's uh I think they are, you know, interested. And to me, I'm not an expert in marketing or anything, but just to me as a consumer, I see that big name franchises like this sell units. Yeah. So well, Google's really into it when, too. Yeah. So, like, it's when people are going to, you know, kids are going to say, oh, I want to play the Star Wars VR game, like, it needs to get to that critical mass and then it'll take off. Yeah,
1: and I think or, for now, I don't know if, like, it's going to change super much, like, in the near future, but for now it's going to be, like, add-ons, like, the X-Wing thing for Battlefront.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which? That's right, they're already doing it, aren't yeah, they? Yeah,
1: I really want to play that. <laughs> like, the idea of <laughs> being in X-Wing is just so cool. Um and that also solves the VR problem of walking around and getting motion sick because you're just in a stationary thing. And I think that's going to be a big thing for a while is yeah, like VR add ons for games because it's not required, but it's also like a cool thing to encourage people to get VR and play it.
0: Yeah. All right. So that sort of segues nicely into our next topic into uh talking about star wars so we're gonna talk about our general impressions of season three um we have a couple different topics to to talk about but um firstly i think we're going to acknowledge thrawn but probably not talk too much about him right (laughs) there's been so much conversation about thrawn so we know we know he's there but that's all that's about all the feelings i have about that yeah um I've been reviewing season three for Den of Geek, and so far I'm really happy with season three. I think that it's it's much more um, episodic, or rather it has more continuity episode to episode than season two did, and it's trying to dig into the characters a little bit more. It doesn't always succeed, but it's trying. What What do you think?
1: I agree with that mostly, yeah. It's definitely a more consistent season, I think, or something like that. Like, I can't entirely, t- t- like, put my finger on what's changed between season two and season three, but whatever it is, it's good. And I'm hoping that the rest of the season kind of sticks to this strength because it's going really well. I'm really into the season so far. Um, I think they're possibly finally actually figuring out how to tell the rebel story in a way that's different from the Clone Wars because I think that was kind of an issue <laughs> earlier on is they couldn't, figure out the balance between the episodic nature of it and the arcs the story arcs that were bigger because it's a smaller group of people that it sticks with um and I think they're starting to get the hang of that better which is helping the episodes I also Thrawn he's there yeah I I like him I've read one book with him and it wasn't the Thrawn trilogy um but I really like him in Rebels he's like intimidating he's scary but he's not like, scary, because he's not like a he's gonna shoot you in the face kind of guy, but he's kind of ominous.
0: I laugh because you mentioned that Rebels is trying not to be like the Clone Wars, which I think is is true in this way that it's learning to structure its episodes a bit differently, but th- that comes a week after the episode that was <laughs> the Clone Wars tribute. I, love, <laughs> I just
1: kind of... <laughs> I love that episode so much. It was just like the Clone Wars, but Rebels. It was so good.
0: Oh, okay. So, because... I I liked that one, but... Okay, here's the thing. We're going to talk about yes. this. Um, I liked that episode. I thought it was well done for what it was. Um, I didn't mind the Clone Wars references, per se. You know, they weren't, like... I wasn't offended by them in any way. But do you think that this, the Clone Wars merits a sort of tribute episode three years into Rebels, and do you think this means that they are going to stop referencing the clone wars because I, i i like this episode but i also have no faith that the show is actually going to be any more or less similar to the clone wars than it was before like they're still going to use rex they're still going to use ahsoka i i don't not very few things would make me believe that the Rebels team has let the Clone Wars go, including this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that they are actually going like, to step away, but I kind of feel like it was a way of sort of being like, that's the end of that and it's going to be Rebels now. Um, I find the episode interesting because as a Clone Wars fan, I love it. Like It just kind of feels like an epilogue kind of episode for Rex um, from the Clone Wars but as, like, from a Rebels point of view, I'm like, for somebody who's just watched Rebels and never watched The Clone Wars, this episode would be, like, not amazing. Like, it would be alright, but it wouldn't be a good episode mm. because none of it would mean anything to you. And so, like, yeah, I, from a Clone Wars point of view, I'm like, yes, it's good. And then from a Rebels point of view, I'm like, eh, it's alright. Yeah. It was just kind of weird <laughs> having those two sides warring against each other. Um, yeah, I... I I do hope it's a step away, like that the Rex will become like a Rebels character instead of a Clone Wars character, which would be interesting to see if that if that happens. I the episode was kind of good in the way that it showed, Kanan being able to let go of the Clone Wars as well, which I think is important for his character. But yeah, I don't have faith in Rebels and being able to actually step away from that.
0: That's a good point about Kanan though, because especially because we had the the in the previous previous couple episodes we had um. Maul refer to Kanan by his real name. So, like, that was sort of an open wound for Kanan. But this one was weird for me because I'm a big Rebels fan who knows a lot about the Clone Wars but don't doesn't really have an emotional attachment to the Clone Wars. Like, at best, I think it was okay. Um, so I felt like this was a, a good episode for what it was. It was nicely self-contained, but I didn't really have that emotional attachment. And, like, saying goodbye to the Clone Wars doesn't really mean anything to me. Um, and this episode sort of seemed to forget Ezra's, Ezra's dark side path a little bit. He, his story, the previous episodes had been that he was sort of edging into the dark side. And I don't think that he was out of character in this one. I don't think that his statements were like too smart for him or anything. I think it's, perfectly sensible that he would have observed what he did but it also didn't really follow on what came before for him
1: yeah i kind of i wrote a review about this episode um because it was the one i got rostered on i'm kind of glad i did because it's one i had to think like actually enjoyed writing about but um like it felt a little childish what is like written kind of immaturely because. immaturely not that he was talking to Charlie, but it was kind of like, a little bit like Dora the Explorer, kind of like, if this side didn't do it, and this side didn't do it, then who did? And then Zeb was like, it was the Empire! And that was a little bit, like, ham-fisted. I feel like the writing for Israel in that scene could have been a
0: bit more subtle. <laughs> It's funny because I actually liked that scene. And, like, I usually am sensitive to, like, oh, this sounds childish or whatever. But I liked that scene because that's the exact kind of conversation that Star Wars fans have. Like, yeah. that's it was absolutely just the writing team using Ezra as a mouthpiece. But it was, like, if you had never heard that idea before, that idea of, well, the Empire or the the... Sort of separatists didn't win the Clone Wars. Like, I feel like it was a good one for new fans, maybe. Yeah, it was for people that had never looked at it in that particular way.
1: Yeah, I think it was good to like, because it's never really been (laughs) said in Star Wars in a really simple way. It's like, oh, it was, it was all the Empire. A lot of it is like, oh yeah, Palpatine kind of did it, but like, it doesn't really. You don't really get told that kind of stuff. It kind of just happens. Um, and so actually having the
0: opposite where they, yeah, they like didn't mention Palpatine at all. They just talked about the politics. Yeah, or the
1: yeah. I think, yeah, it was good to finally, like, state that in a way that the characters as well, like, kind of finally clicked to what was happening. I liked that as well. I like that this episode managed to lead to that finally that they could understand that it wasn't their side or the other side. It was just, like, the Empire the whole time, um, which was, I think, good for the rebels to finally understand because, you know, they're going to fight the Empire.
0: Mm, and it did, the other thing I liked about the writing in that scene, I guess, was that it did reflect on what was going on in the larger plot. So you saw, like, the Empire literally came in and wrecked both sides. Like, it it paralleled what was going on. And it gave you that really interesting literal clash of uh, Clone Wars and the original trilogy. But that's where I thought it was a little goofy. I thought stuff like the at foot coming down on the droid was very sort of childish i thought some of that was kind of goofy it was
1: so weird because it's like the prequel kind of humor mushed in with like the kind of more original trilogy sensibilities like the droid humor is very it's very prequel era and it's very clone wars as well and so having like the droids making jokes in a real episode felt really weird because it's not the normal kind of thing for that um and like seeing the droids with the stormtroopers tro- storm i love that a lot because it was just like I didn't think about the fact that I'd never seen something like that before, and then I saw them like running up to each other, and I was like, oh, yeah, they do exist in the same universe.
0: Yep, and they describe it in uh, Rebels Recon as like kids playing with action figures, and that's exactly the feeling I got, like, oh, I've never seen this before, but I kind of have, because it's just like a toy box all jumbled together. Yeah.
1: My favorite thing is that this episode wasn't even on our list of topics.
0: No, I know. <laughs> Honestly, I was I was kind of just thinking that. We're way off the rails here yeah. right now, but that's fine. It's <laughs> this the latest episode, so it makes more sense. I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think <laughs> in the grand scheme of the season, like this episode's all like, eh, whatever, but I also just have a special place in my heart for it now.
0: Yeah. It it was sort of a standalone episode, but what I would be curious about is a perspective that I can't possibly um recreate in my own brain which is of a casual Star Wars fan like someone who just watched the movies or watched a couple episodes of the Clone Wars like how would that person take the ideas in this episode but like I'm so like immersed in the Clone Wars that I can't really speak to that
1: I have someone who I want to make watch Rebels who hasn't who refuses to watch the Clone Wars because the art style is ugly which I furiously argue with but it doesn't work
0: so <laughs> I lo- I love how I could hear the quotes <laughs> in your voice right there.
1: <laughs> I did do hear quotes in real life too. Um,
0: I could hear them. <laughs> I'm so
1: glad. And so it's possible that they might end up watching Rebels without watching the Clone Wars. So if I get that perspective, I'll tell you how he, he feels about this episode.
0: Cool, cool. And if listeners have other opinions about this, we'd certainly be interested in hearing them. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So um, I do have to wrap up soon, but uh, we wanted to talk a little bit just about um, what I think is the most interesting question in this season, which is the the twin sons thing. So, what what is Ezra? What did Ezra and Maul see in the holocron? And is that going to be like the main the driving force of this season? If this season even has one, I want it to be the old wounds comic i want them to go find (laughs) obi-wan but that's because i love the old wounds comic and like nothing about that can ever possibly be too goofy for me but i can see how it might be to someone to the to see them going to the lars homestead do you think do you think that that's what that scene meant or do you think it was a red herring or what
1: i've been having so much trouble with that because i've been asking that question to myself so much um, it's entirely possible that it means that, that they're going to go Tatooine or that Maul's going to try and hunt down Obi-Wan and maybe they'll meet Obi-Wan or something. Um, But yeah, it could just be a red herring. Like, maybe it's something else and we just don't know yet. And it's really hard to know because I feel... I, I find it hard to believe that Obi-Wan and the Lars homestead or Tatooine would be, like, the driving force of a rebel season. And... But if it is... I can also understand that, but I just can't see it happening. But then, like, why would they have that scene if they weren't going to follow it up in some way?
0: Do you Can you not see that as a Rebels season because you think it's not connected enough to the characters, or, or why not? I think it...
1: Because Rebels has that issue of trying too much to be part of, like, the movies and stuff like that. Um, And so it's got a lot of... That was kind of the wrong way to put it, but it's got a lot of... It draws on other characters a lot and it's also got the issue of like where will the rebels be when you know when the original trilogy happens Mm -hmm. and i feel like if they meet obi-wan that kind of puts them in more danger of treading too close to where they could be in the original trilogy like if obi-wan knows about kane and ezra then like what does that mean for luke later on and what does it mean for how obi-wan acts about the jedi later on um and I don't know what I want from that and it kind of scares me that if they meet Obi-Wan there's a possibility that they will die or something to remove them from that issue and I don't think they're gonna die at least I don't think Ezra is gonna die but I don't know I just meeting Obi-Wan just feels weird like I can see Maul doing it and maybe the others not but ah, I can't see it happening
0: it's tricky because we've had one rebel season where the finale is about All as like this pretty small scale thing and then we had the season two finale which was basically a, a Clone Wars episode where it was mostly about Ahsoka and then this one will tilt the scales one way or the other toward the movies or away from them and I, I feel like they are kind of running into the same problem they had last year what I thought was a problem last year was that all of the weight, well a lot of the narrative weight was on Ahsoka and Vader instead of on any of the new characters and the show is is called Rebels, you know, you need to have some emphasis on the new characters I think, uh, excuse me, Ezra's turn to the dark side is doing that, like he's gonna have some kind of connection to all of this because he's Maul's de facto apprentice now, but Obi-Wan would be incredibly distracting
1: yeah, I think that would be my main issue with it, is that, yeah, I agree with Ahsoka, like, I really liked her being in the season, but I definitely agree that not much came from Ezra and Kayon themselves, or the rest of the Ghost crew even, a lot of the, yeah, n- emotional stuff was Ahsoka, and I don't want that to be the same with, like, Obi-Wan and Maul for this season, because there was enough of that in the Clone Wars, And I understand that people want closure with that, but I feel like Rebels is not the right medium for that either because it's supposed to be about the Rebels crew. And putting the Rebels crew into that feels weird.
0: Yeah, and I think what Rebels has the opportunity to do now is to establish more um, sort of significant moments in the early forming of the Rebellion. So things like, when does it become the Rebel Alliance? Things like, where do they get their their income starfighters from which we've seen a little bit in the recent episodes but it's not like the the course of the episode of the season um it could do more of that and less of oh we're gonna go find this movie character
1: yeah i want like ezra drives me crazy because they don't actually give him enough time to be like a really deep interesting character but they give him a lot of time in episodes, so it kind of ends up with him being like this kind of like kid that is just angry a lot, and he wants to be a leader, but nobody's really like giving him the chance. Or so when they do, he gets over cocky and stuff like that. Um, and I just want like some serious Ezra time with other characters, like Hera, like an er- Hera and Ezra kind of thing, or like Ezra and Sabine, and kind of like deepening his character so that he is a really interesting kind of main character because he kind of is the main character like it's an ensemble show but it's largely about Ezra's growth into whatever he's going to become and I want more episodes of just the Rebels crew like Thrawn too because he's the main antagonist of the season so like bring Thrawn in but I want more episodes just of the crew without other stuff like without the Clone Wars without the original trilogy just them and the Rebellion
0: mm, and they've been doing these sort of event episodes with uh, Hera and Sabine. Although, actually, now that you mention it, both of them connect to the Clone Wars, too. Yeah, Um, Like, it was nice. I liked both Hera's heroes. And, um, well, (laughs) I was going to say I liked the Sabine episode. The Sabine Mandalorian episode hasn't come out yet. I have not (laughs) seen it. So, um, I don't know whether I'll like it or not. But I like that they're doing it. But both of those are connections to the Clone Wars. They're those characters going off on their own instead of those characters supporting... The, the ghost crew and i think that rebels still maybe just doesn't want to do that but i kind of would prefer if it did i think it
1: needs to like i know that's that's one of the biggest criticisms i've seen for people who've kind of stopped watching it or stopped liking it as much is that it is trying too much or not trying too much but that does depend too much on the clone wars and um the movies because like i love the clone wars and i miss the clone wars but i don't want to keep lingering on the clone wars like this it's kind of sad um because it's not it doesn't feel the same as the clone wars so it just kind of feels wrong that they keep trying to bring it into the show and it just it does make sense in some cases like hera's dad being cham it's like okay yeah sure that that makes sense um but a lot of it, like ahsoka kind of didn't necessarily need to be in that season it was just because she's ahsoka and everyone loves her and i do love her but she could have not been that season that season could have still been really good and then more on the ghost crew rather than ahsoka um and i just want them to just be the ghost crew i want that like hera's heroes was really good because that was a lot about hera and ezra um which is what i want i i like that kind of mother-son relationship that is more of a like a respectful equal grounding kind of thing that they've got um and I want more episodes kind of in that vein, but I also want them to not be linked to the Clone Wars as much as they are as well. But I think that's going to keep happening because they are kind of intrinsically linked, whether or not we like it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Heroes, heroes was so good and I'm expecting the Sabine one to be really good too.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to that. They are intrinsically linked. I mean, it's a lot of the same creators and all the act- you know, after all of this, I really am enjoying this season. I think they're doing a lot of really good things with it. And I'm I'm curious to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited for the rest of the season. And I think um their finales are always quite strong. Or like the episodes leading up to the finales at least, so I'm excited for that part of the season as well. Because if the start of the season is this good, then I expect that part of the season to be really good too.
0: Yeah, this one is I would really I think Season one might still be my favorite because it focuses so much on the Rebels themselves, but this one would be my second choice.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that.
0: All right, so I think that's all for today. Um, I have to get going to a book club, actually. Saf, where can people find you online?
1: So you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can also find me on... At my website, notsefwork.com, and I'm around on Toshi Station a lot. I have a gaming column there now, so check that out.
0: Cool, and I'm at Blog Full of Words on Twitter. You can find me at Den of Geek um, and a little bit at StarWars.com. We are Western underscore Reaches on Twitter. Check out the Toshi Station network as well for more Star Wars and science fiction podcasting. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. <laughs> cover